Well, good morning, and if you have a copy of God's Word, please join me in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. A few weeks back, and when we were in James chapter 3, we talked about the trouble that our tongue can get us into, but he also told us a little bit about some of the great things that we can do with our tongue, and some of that advice, uh, although Kid President didn't use any scriptures, some of it was very, very biblical, and I, I think it's a good reminder to take into heart. James chapter 4 today, and we are going to uh, continue here talking about faith at work and how our faith can uh, be put into action and be visible with, uh, to those around us, those whom we come into contact with. And today we're specifically going to be looking at the source of security, the source of security. There are a lot of things that our world uh, wants us to try to find our security, our, our strength, our confidence in. And God here is going to remind us through James where we really truly need to put our hope and our trust. Uh, One blustery day, a fellow was working on his roof, which had a really sharp peak. And so he decided he wanted to take some safety precautions and uh, that it would be best if he secured himself to something on the ground. So he tied a rope around his waist, pulled it tight and climbed to the roof And went over the peak, he threw the rope over the side and said to his boy, would you tie this onto that tree on the other side of the house? Well, the little kid thought that tree is rather small and my dad is rather large. And so he tied it to the bumper of his dad's car instead. Mom was busy in the house with chores of her own. She discovered as she was making dinner that she needed a few ingredients and had to make a quick trip to the store. She went out, put the car in reverse, and uh, her husband followed her to the store. (laughs) He was putting his trust in the rope. He thought it was secure. He thought it was a place that he could have confidence. Um, And just like that man, many people in this world today are resting their security in something that shouldn't be trusted. We're resting our security in something that we shouldn't try to be putting our security and our hope in. Someone once asked an astronaut, how does it feel inside the space capsule? The astronaut replied, it really makes you think, you know. When everything is done according to the lowest bidder, it really makes you think. (laughs) Sometimes we need to be careful. We need to pay attention and ask ourselves, what am I placing my trust in? What am I placing my hope in? And here James is going to address two groups of people that were placing their hopes in some shaky uh, foundations. And the first of which we're going to look at is security through planning. Security through planning. Read with me verses 13 through 27 of James chapter 4. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him it is sin. The issue here with the the Christians that James was writing to was not that they were planning for the future, but the problem was is that they were self-confidently planning their futures without much thought as to God's sovereign will and how that factored into the equation. They were trying to do their things their own way according to their own timetable without looking to God. You see, as, as I read this week, 
One writer said that this period was marked by a a real growing economic and commercial activity, specifically in this region. And so many had left Palestine to settle in cities throughout the Mediterranean world in pursuit of financial gain. And of course, the picture is equally familiar to us in the modern world. Modes of transportation and distances have changed, but the bottom line has not. And so there are many today who are making plans for the future, and they're writing out the steps as to what what the future is going to hold and how things are going to transpire, and I'm going to do this and go here and plan that and plan this. And James is saying, he's waving his arms and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, where is God in all of this? Where is God in your planning? Where is God in your strategic mapping out of the future? Is it wrong to plan? Is that what James is saying? No, that's not what he's saying. Is it wrong to make money? Is capitalism evil? No, that's not what James is teaching here. But what he's, what he's cautioning us against is going forward without seeking God's will and with simply doing my will, with simply doing what I want to do. It's in Proverbs 16:9, we're told, "The heart of a man plans his way, but it's the Lord that establishes his steps." So what God wants us to do as we think about our future, as we think about the next steps, as we think about His plans, we need to go to Him. You know, the the verses that many of us have memorized, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. God, as as we make plans for the future, we need to take His will into consideration. We need to look to Him for His wisdom. We need to open up the pages of Scripture and say, well, how does this apply to what I want to do? How does this apply to to the steps that I want to take forward? Because, you see, so many of us think that we're in control, that we're in charge of our futures. And that's just simply a myth. We can do what we want, we can plan, and we can strategize, but God is the one that's in control. And the sooner that we understand that, the sooner that we orient our lives around that fact, the a lot more... Uh, uh, stress, uh, stress-free living we're going to enjoy. Um, he goes on to say here in this passage, he says, in verse 15, he says, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You know, um, my, uh, my two-year-old, sometimes as we serve him dinner, sometimes if it's fresh out of the oven, uh, it'll, be, uh, it'll be steaming hot and he'll, he'll tell us, that it's too hot and he'll want us to help him blow it off, to blow the smoke away. And so you can see that steam rising off the, the dinner and you get it close and you blow on it and it just it vanishes, just like that. And, and he says that we need to have the perspective where we remember that our life is the same way. Some of you who are, uh, how shall I say, maybe a little more seasoned with age and, and you've had a chance to experience life a little bit, you know how quickly things can go. You've watched how quickly your children grow up. I, I constantly have people remind me that they, they grow up so fast. Enjoy it right now. Enjoy it while they're home because the, it's so soon and they'll be gone. And I'm sitting here thinking it's, it's not soon enough. I'd kind of like to see them. And, and they say, trust me, you'll, you'll miss them when they're gone. And I say, I'm going to have to take your word for it. And, and, then, and then they begin to grow up and they start to get married. And all of a sudden now you're a grandparent. And your grandkids start to have kids. And before you know it, it's difficult to get out of bed in the morning. And, and things don't work like they want. And it's just like that. Life passes you by. 
James tells us that. Life is a vapor. And see, we want to go about and orchestrate this life according to our plans and according to our will. And sometimes we, we try to force it and, and make it happen. And, and God says, listen, you need to enter life with a perspective that takes him into consideration and that takes his will into consideration. And stop beating your head against the wall, trying to make life happen according to your timetable and, and, and put it into his hands. And you'll be a lot less stressed out when you do. And you can trust His good care will see you through. But the other place that we might be tempted to find security, according to this passage, is security through finances. Security through finances. As you turn the page into chapter 5, we read in verses 1 through 6, in James's typical bold fashion, he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up your treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. You might remember back in chapter 2, we met the wealthy landowners who were uh, being shown favoritism. They'd been oppressing the poor people, and they were, they were receiving extra honor in the church. And, and James cautioned them against favoritism. And here he once again addresses these group, this group to remind them that their self-confidence and their security Uh, that they've placed in their wealth is misplaced. It's caused them to be proud where they shouldn't be proud. And he further addresses and lets them know that it reminds them once again of the oppression that they've shown to the workers, to those who they've hired by cheating them of their wages and holding back that which was due to those workers. James is reminding us here, not that money is sinful, but putting and placing your trust in that wealth is If you remember when Jesus was on earth, he had a lot to say about money, a lot to say about wealth. And he reminded us that it's difficult to be wealthy and to be a Christian. And the reason for that is because wealthy, when, when, when you have things made, when you have your life together, when there is plenty of money in the checkbook, and when you can pay all of your bills and you can accumulate stuff, there is a tendency... And that's not necessarily given, but there is a tendency to be self-reliant. There is a tendency to think that when things get tough, I can fix it because I've got money. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 19, 23, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And you see, what makes it worse is that we have a culture that feeds this this self-sufficiency that says, you need to pursue this stuff. If you want to be somebody, you're going to have these things. If you want to have significance, you've got to wear these clothes. You've got to have this gear. You've got to be playing this sport. You've got to be driving this vehicle. Whatever it is, we might be tempted with different things. For, for one person, 
It might be, the temptation might be their house and the, the decor and, and constantly remodeling their house to, to feel like it's where it needs to be. But for someone else, it might be a particular hobby. For someone else, it might be just a storehouse of cash, having that, that confidence. Because maybe you had nothing growing up and you were living from day to day and so you're done with that lifestyle and you're going you're gonna to make sure that you've got enough and that you're going to put your confidence and your hope in that. We have to remember that the culture is selling us a bill of goods. God defines success far differently than the world does. He wants us to find our confidence in Him. The Bible tells us that being spiritually successful does not amount to having stuff. God has an altogether different way of measuring greatness than the world does. He's using a completely different yardstick. Physical wealth and spiritual wealth are not the same thing. You can have someone who has piles of cash be abs- but be absolutely spiritually destitute. And you can have someone who has no money to buy groceries this week, but they could be the spiritually wealthiest person that you'll ever meet. God's, world, God's ways and the world's ways are not the same. God wants us to look at life through his lens, to see, spirit, to see spiritual wealth and to place a priority on it like he does. And not get caught up into the world's priorities. If you're seeking security through your finances, through your stuff, ask God to open your eyes to see it so that you can readjust your priorities. A good question to ask yourselves is, if this week, if God were to take everything, were to take your home, your savings, your car, your everything. Would you be able, like Job, to say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him? Would you be able to fall down and still worship God? Would you be able to come before him and say, you are enough, and you tell me that you're going to supply all my need, and I'm going to trust you for that? God doesn't want us to find our security and stuff. Oh, it's, it's not wrong to save and to plan. That's not what James is talking about, these two, two groups of people. But what he's saying is, is that when we place our trust in our ability to control the future, or our ability to, to take care of stuff with our stuff, we've misplaced our trust. What God really wants us to do is find genuine security. He wants us to find genuine security. And there are a few things. We could talk about all kinds of promises that come from God's word that give us confidence and security in him. But there's just three I want to talk about this morning. First of all is security through God's sovereignty. Security through God's sovereignty. Back in chapter 4, verse 15, he reminds us of a better way than trying to control the future through our planning. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, We will live and do this or that. There was a common expression uh, back then where people would uh, say, God willing, I will do this. It was a common expression even among pagans who didn't believe in the one true God. And what James was doing was changing the phrase to the word Lord, if the Lord wills. And you see, that made an altogether different phrase because the word Lord means master or ruler. And it's recognizing if the one in charge... If he determines this is best, then so be it. This is what's going to happen. 
God's desire is for you and for me to live our lives with an overarching perspective that recognizes he is in complete sovereign control of what goes on, both on the stage where we can see it and behind the scenes. And I want you to know that this perspective is tremendously freeing. You see, we think that if I have complete control, if I've got everything worked out in my timetable and how it's going to happen and I can predict it, we think that that's, that's the way to freedom. But in reality, God makes a much better God than you or I do. And when we recognize that him working out his plan is always better than me working out my plan, we'll all of a sudden be freed up to not freak out over trying to make life work. When I recognize that I'm not God, you know how how much weight comes off our shoulders? You know how freeing that is? To let God be God, let him orchestrate our lives. In 1 Chronicles 29, 11, and 12, it says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is great. And your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. When we can say that to God, all of a sudden we can back off of trying to control things. We can trust God with our future, with our finances, and everything in between. Secondly, we need to find security through God's fatherhood. We need to find security through God's fatherhood. I know I've said this before, but sometimes how we... How we view our earthly dads gets transposed upon how we look at our heavenly father. Maybe you had a great dad and maybe it's not all that easy or all that difficult for you to picture God as a great heavenly father. But I know all of, all of us had sinful dads at best. And at worst, some of you had some evil, wicked dads. Some of you can't think of your father without anger or fear or resentment pain and heartache and i would i would go so far as to say that if 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 you do not have a proper understanding of god as your heavenly father you will constantly struggle in your christian life because if you're thinking of your heavenly father like your earthly dad it's going to totally skew your perspective of god because you may then have to approach god always wondering how he's going to react next. Maybe your dad had an explosive temper and you constantly live in fear of making your heavenly father angry. Maybe maybe your, your earthly father was not a generous person and you always had to try to manipulate or butter them up in order to get them to do anything nice. And so if you have that perspective, you're going to take that to God and you're always going to be trying to manipulate him, always try to say the right things to get him to do what you would like to see him do. See, your perspective and and how you understand God and his fatherhood has tremendous ramifications to your Christian life. But if, however, you see what Scripture says about him, that this heavenly father is always, always, always good, that everything he does in your life, everything without exception, is meant for your good, you're going to be able to trust him. 
And so then when something difficult comes your way, some trial, some medical diagnosis, or, or some relationship difficulty, or whatever it could be, when something difficult comes your way, and you go back to Scripture and say, the Bible reminds me I have a loving, good, completely gracious Heavenly Father. So that must mean, that must mean that this is in my life right now because He loves me, and He knows that He needs to grow me in some way, shape, or form. All of a sudden, you're going to be able to trust him. If you believe then that your God is a good heavenly father, you're going to trust him to provide. You're not going to have to try to manipulate or coerce him into giving you stuff. You know that he loves you and he is always going to give you what you need. You also can trust because the Bible tells us that this heavenly father adopted us. You can trust that you're a wanted member of the family. God didn't just take you because the paternity test came back positive. You're in God's family because he chose you, the Bible says. He chose you to be his own. He's not rolling his eyes because he's stuck with you. He graciously welcomes you in because he chose you, because he wants you as part of his family. Can you believe that? That he wants us as part of his family? Even knowing what we did, Even knowing what we were going to do, he still welcomed us into his family. And then we also can further know that when he disciplines us, it's for our good. Not because he's mad at us, not because he wants to retaliate or get back, but when, when he allows trials into our life to shape us, it's because he loves us too much to leave us the way that we are. He wants to make us into the image of Jesus Christ. We can find so much security through knowing that we have a good father in heaven who always loves, always takes care of, and always wants the best for us. And then finally, we can find security through Christ's finished work. We can find security through Christ's finished work. Some of us, even though we've grown up in church, we live out our lives trying to make ourselves acceptable to God. We labor to the point of exhaustion, hoping that God will like us even just a little bit. You see, if you are not grounded in the fact that God is satisfied with you through Jesus Christ, you will always be working yourself to the bone, trying to make yourself acceptable to him. Have you ever seen a child that's just trying to earn their parents' approval? They're they're, they're trying to do everything they can to just see a little bit of affection, a little bit of love. And if you think that your heavenly Father is begrudging in his grace and in his goodness. You are going to constantly be trying to strive, trying to to just get a little bit of a nod of approval. And it's so exhausting. It's It's so draining. And it's so defeating in the Christian life. But when you understand that when Jesus went to the cross... And you might remember that Jesus uttered several phrases upon the cross, and, and one of them was this. He said, he said this. He said, it is finished. It is finished. And if you believe that he meant it, that sets you free from all kinds of trying to earn God's favor. Jesus earned the favor of God by dying in your place 
so that you wouldn't have to spend yourself and spend your lives in futility trying to earn it. See, there's nothing that we could do to measure up. That's what Scripture tells us. We can't earn the favor of God. It's freely given to us because Jesus died in our place. If that's you this morning, if you're the kind of person who is just trying to be better, just trying to work harder so that God will love you or or maybe even like you a little bit, I want to share some gloriously liberating news with you today. You can stop now. You can stop trying to measure up. Stop trying to fix yourself up. Because Jesus made every provision necessary to earn the favor of God. The Father was fully satisfied with Christ's sacrifice. It is finished. It is completed. The work is done. And when you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, believing that he died for you, that he rose again, the Bible says that you are accepted as his beloved son, as his beloved daughter. And so then the good works that we do are not so that we can make him happy with us, but because he is happy with us, because he is pleased, because we are accepted, we can live for him. We do those works not to earn his acceptance, but because we're accepted. How about you this morning? Where does this text find you in your place of looking for security? Are you looking for it in things that you think you can control? The future, the planning, maybe your finances, your wealth? Or are you finding it in Christ? Are you finding it in a God who is in sovereign control of all of life? Are you finding it in a God who is a perfectly good heavenly father? Are you finding your security in the finished work of Christ? It's my prayer that that's where you land and that's where you stay. Because when we do that, when we find our security in God's promises, it liberates us in a glorious way. Let's pray. God, the truth of Scripture affects us right here and right now in the 21st century. Even though this book was written over hundreds of years by so many different authors and in so many different places, people who lived in so many different walks of life, this ancient book comes to bear on our souls right here and right now. And for those of us who are on the hamster wheel of life, just burning ourselves out and working ourselves to the bone, trying to be acceptable, trying to measure up, trying to find some sense of security. God, I pray that you would set us free today. If there's somebody here who, is, who has never trusted in Christ as their Savior and they know this, this, this struggle all too well, may they rest in Jesus alone for their salvation. But for Christians who have reverted back to a lifestyle of trying to keep you happy, may they remember that there's a distinction between trying to live life in a way that earns your acceptance and trying to live life in a way because they're accepted. May they make that distinction. May they walk in the Spirit because they can rest in, in, in the confident hope that they're accepted by a good Heavenly Father, all because of Jesus, all because Jesus went to the cross and conquered death.
God, we're so thankful for your promises. May we live in light of them this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless, you're dismissed.